0: Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Heart of Dating. I'm your host, Kate Warman. Now, before we get into the episode today, I have to give you a disclaimer that I am currently recording this while I have a bit of a sinus infection. So if you're hearing my voice a little bit differently, that is why today. But alas, this intro for this incredible episode had to be recorded. So here we are. We have had a stellar few weeks in our LGBTQ series, and I am so excited for these last few episodes where we will be tackling another important subject, the trans conversation. Today, we're discussing transgender identity and the church with the amazing Preston Sprinkle. Now, before we dive in, I am so thankful to be having this discussion about the transgender conversation. It's honestly been on my heart for some time. Because you guys, while the LGBTQ plus conversation isn't always brought up from the pulpit, what gets discussed even less is the transgender issues and all things related to it. It's readily happening in today's culture, it's quite the hot topic, and yet it rarely gets addressed by pastors and various leaders. So that's why I'm so excited to bring you this conversation in tandem with my very good friend Preston Sprinkle, who is so deeply wise, and he has researched so much of this when it comes to the transgender conversation. A lot of what Preston and I talk about today can also be found in his book, Embodied transgender identities the church and what the bible has to say guys trust me this book is so good so if the conversation today piques your interest i highly encourage you get this book read it you're going to take a bazillion notes reread pages multiple times to really sink into what he has to say it is so good and it blew my mind this conversation is incredibly nuanced it's very complex and it truly needs to be more understood by us christians Also, as always, it needs to be approached with more love, compassion, and kindness. I truly hope you will listen today with your notebook open, ready to take notes, and with your heart open to find compassion and empathy. I also hope and pray you send this episode to a friend or to a leader who needs guidance in this area. Collectively, as Christians, we can and should better lead these dialogues. You, my friend, can start that change in your community today simply by sending this episode over to a friend of yours right now. Preston Sprinkle is an international speaker and a New York Times bestselling author who's written a dozen books, including Embodied, Transgender Identities, The Church, and What the Bible Has to Say, and People to be Loved, Why Homosexuality is Not Just an Issue. Preston currently serves as the president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, an organization that equips Christians to engage questions about faith, sexuality, and gender with theological faithfulness and courageous love. Preston also hosts the podcast Theology in the Raw and posts regularly on his YouTube channel, Preston Sprinkle. I got to be honest, I could not take notes fast enough today while Preston was speaking. This is probably an episode you're going to listen to and then want to listen to again, and maybe even a third time as you also pass it to people in your community so you can discuss it even more. This was such a deeply amazing conversation that I'm just so thankful that you get to hear today. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation about transgender identities with Preston Sprinkle. Okay, we have... Preston Sprinkle on the Heart of Dating podcast today. Hey, Preston. How are you?
1: Hey, Keg. So good to be on your show. <laughs>
0: I'm so excited to have you. I've honestly been geeking out about this and this conversation because I, just I you are filled with so much wisdom, Preston. You step into an area that is difficult and so needed. Uh, and the conversation we're having today is, I mean, it is just a rare conversation to have, but a really, really necessary conversation to have, especially in the church. And so I'm really excited we're doing it today on Heart of Dating in this new series that we are doing here on the podcast. And so Preston, before we get into all the meat, there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, would you just share with everyone what it is that you do, who you are, and if they're not connected with you, I mean, y'all, you got to get connected with Preston. So share, share with us a bit about that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So uh, my name is Preston Sprinkle. I'm uh, 45 years old. I'm married. I've got four kids, uh, three teenage daughters, and a 12-year-old hey. son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's a whole other, uh, yeah, we can come back on the show and talk about that. <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll talk about that another time too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My day job, uh, so I've been a college professor at several or a couple different Christian colleges and one secular university before that. i uh, been a professor of uh, like biblical studies, theology, religion uh, on some level. Uh, but for the past four, let's see, coming up on f- almost five years, uh, four and a half years, I've been the president of a nonprofit called the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And so our mission statement is that uh, we want to help Christian leaders and churches engage questions of faith, sexuality, and gender with theological faithfulness and courageous love. And so I do a lot mm. of writing, speaking, and leadership training, specifically in the area in the areas of LGBTQ related, uh, questions. So yeah, it's yeah. a, it's an adventure.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it's it's an incredible adventure and so needed, like I said earlier. And I just want to publicly thank you because you've really helped me as a dive into these conversations too, as we're currently in our season, uh, the season that we're in season seven, talking about LGBTQ and exploring these conversations. And I just want to publicly thank you Preston for all of your wisdom and your work and everything you're doing. Uh, and the course that you have out, the courses you have out there have been so helpful the books. The one we're going to talk. About Today, so just thank you, thank you for stepping out into this area, and uh, we we need it as Christians. (laughs) We need to tackle these really hard, gray, and nuanced conversations with, as you said, courageous love (laughs) and wisdom.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. It's amazing that you know anything I do is helpful (laughs) for somebody out there. You know, so it's it's awesome (laughs) to hear good responses.
0: Well, I am so pumped. I can't even take. I would go on and on to talk about all the things you do, but we need to get into what we're talking about today. You wrote a book recently that came out and it's called Embodied transgender identities, the church, and what the Bible has to say. Oh my gosh. And I just am so grateful that you wrote this book. It is a hard topic. It is nuanced. Reading your book, I was like, wow, there are so many elements to discuss here. And so first, before we get into some of that nitty gritty and to help people today, because my goal today, Preston, is to really give people a taste of some of the things you talk about in your book. But of course, encourage everyone you got to go get embodied because it you will be like going to school in this book in the best way possible and it will be so enlightening you probably won't be able to put it down want to reread chapters cuz you're like what did i just learn what what was that i want to read that again uh but let's get into why did you decide to tackle this very nuanced and complex topic
1: yeah, that, that's usually where people uh, want to begin uh how in the world did you get
0: <laughs> yeah, into like so, so why
1: <laughs> I, yeah my long story short i sort of fell into the conversation about uh, same-sex relationships specifically. This was several years ago. Um, I was a college professor getting a lot of questions from students about the topic, and I realized that I've never really studied it for myself. And and part of my theological posture, if you you want to put it like that, is I, I want to know what I believe and why I believe it, not just you know, here's my beliefs and not really understand why. So even with something like, you know, homosexuality or gay marriage, you know, most Christians grow up with with a certain viewpoint that they believe and they may passionately believe it. But I found early on that a lot of Christians don't know why they believe it. They don't know the more, the, the complex conversation that surrounds this Very topic. True. So this was back in maybe 2012, 2013, that I started writing a book on what the Bible says about homosexuality. And again, realize that that's very complex conversation. Um, so that I, I wrote a book called people to be loved, why homosexuality is not just an issue. And, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it, it dives deep into the scriptures, wrestles with what the Bible says about it, but it also is very relational and has loads of stories woven throughout the book. And that's, in part because in my own journey, I got to know a lot of LGBT people early on, and just heard their stories, and just was really blown away at how much pain and and damage that the church has caused a lot of LGBT people. Sometimes, sometimes really intentionally, you know, but oftentimes yeah. unintentionally, we we say things, do things, or don't say things, or don't do things, or say things in weird ways that end up. Producing a lot of shame uh, in the lives of people yes. wrestling with their sexuality, and not just really, mm. it wrecked me. It was it was life changing. Getting to know loads of people that you know were raised in the church and and wrestled with their sexuality and just had, a, for the most part, really bad experiences. And and it had little to do just simply with the theology of the church. It had a lot to do with relationships, lack of care, just kind of, just this like cultural otherness. You know, they they felt like they were yeah, yeah. just like a subspecies of the human race in some in some church context, and that just wrecked me. I'm like, that's just not, that doesn't reflect the heart of Christ. So long story short, <laughs> that launched me into this greater sex, sexuality, and gender conversation. Now the trans conversation, so according to the acronym, you know, LGBT, um, LGB is quite different than the T, and that's a big yeah, I guess thing for us yeah. all to recognize up front. So I spent several years early on on the LGB on sexual ethics and how to wrestle with our sexuality. Um, but then I realized, man, that this whole conversation surrounding the T is a whole different thing. So I spent the last now four years or so just doing oh, wow. research and thinking and talking and speaking on on the T. So that's so this book embodied is really the part of this ongoing journey I've been on with the LGBTQ conversation.
0: Yeah, this is, I mean, and this is our first time really tackling the LGBT conversation overall all, here on Heart of Dating. And, but before I, I even started the series, I realized, you know, what's so interesting just on the conversation of sexuality is that even just outside of LGBT, like we idolize or we put the, like, the sex thing on a pedestal, like anything to do with sexuality, we do in such a way where there's so many conversations I've had in the last few years where as soon as as you talk about any sort of like sexual sin, quote unquote, like people are like, Oh my gosh, that person had sex with their boyfriend. They can't be on the volunteer team. Oh my right. gosh, they can't. And we just have this like weird hyper awareness of sex. And we, it's like the scarlet letter. If you have anything to do with sex, sexuality, it's like, no, don't touch it. Don't look at it. Don't whatever. And I feel the same has also translated in how we deal with the LGBT community. Unfortunately, it's like, that is like, we, we kind of excommunicate or we have all these preconceived ideas. And like you said earlier, we believe a lot of things just because we're told to believe it. And I found, you know, just in the conversation around abstinence, we have believed abstinence and I'm all for abstinence, but we believe like no sex before marriage without understanding any sort of why, without understanding the, the complexity and without also seeing that our sexuality is good. So needless to say, all of that, I've just noticed overall this trend where I'm man, we as Christians don't like to get into the gray of anything. <laughs> you know, we're <they're laughs> like, uh, we just want it to be black and white. And for some reason, when it comes to sex and sexuality, we have like really pinned that as something where everybody is hyper aware of it in you know especially in the Christian church and we just haven't done a great job to your point of really understanding what it's like to be an lgbt person and so going into the conversation today specifically around this really complex difficult topic of transgender identity uh, here are just a few questions that you answer in your book. So, you guys, this is just a taste for you to a little teaser. Uh, but here are some of the things that Preston answers: Are male and female the only options? What about people who are intersex? Can someone be born with a male brain in a female body or vice versa? Do men have to act masculine and women have to act feminine to be godly? Should a Christian ever transition? Which pronouns should non-transgender people use for transgender people? And the main question you kind of unearth overall is this. If someone experiences incongruence between their biological sex and their internal sense of self, which one determines who they are and why? Oh my gosh! Bunch so of easy, just, bunch of
1: easy ones. Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow, just a little food for thought there, everyone. I mean, literally every single question. I was like, I don't know. <laughs>
1: <Literally>, okay,
0: <laughs> excited to find out. But what I really re- realized as I read your book was that we just need more at ed- the reality is i feel like people listening to that are probably like yeah i don't i don't really know the answer to those questions and the reality is we just need more education around this topic it somewhat feels like this bad word in the church to say transgender or you know any of the lgbt words and i have actually in my history being a christian i have really only heard a pastor preach about the transgender conversation one time ever. (laughs) And it was, I'll shout out to John Tyson because it was him who tackled this years ago in a sermon he did. And I was like, wow, I, I felt like I left with pages of notes and I was like, man, you're the only pastor I've really ever heard tackle this. That was really incredible. But I know that if it's, that's, that's the case for me, that it's probably the case for a lot of people listening. Uh, so Let's just start out the conversation um if you would by helping us to understand why some of the language we use is really important and what are some maybe key terms or things that we should understand as we walk into this conversation.
1: Yeah, that's a great place to start. And I just want to acknowledge I, that the John Tyson's uh, sermon series on this topic a few years ago was excellent. Um he's a good friend yeah. um and we yeah, he's uh, he's awesome, but he um, I think that was one of his most downloaded sermons from Church of the yeah, City, where he's a probably. pastor in New York yeah yeah,
0: probably <laughs> <laughs> yeah the controversial Jesus series yeah, he attacked so this good. one and LGBT the 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 gay conversation and other thing I mean it was like hot at the time I was like man John I, and he actually came on the podcast like right after that he used to be my pastor when I lived in New York oh, um, and so wow, I, cool. I yeah he is just the man I always leave yeah. writing so many notes
1: <laughs> yeah oh gosh <laughs> did gosh. I just
0: go to school or did I go to a sermon I'm not sure
1: <laughs> well you know John's actually... Actually a good segue to your question because he, he's you know, whenever he tackles a topic, it's just soaked with grace, humility, uh care for people, but also incredible thoughtfulness. And I think that's important as we kind of ease into this topic. Um, we, we need to acknowledge two things. Number one, that there's a lot of really complicated conceptual questions that um that have been if i can say unearthed through the trans conversation you know what does it mean to be human what's the relationship between the body and the brain and and all the other questions you listed you know do you have to be masculine to be godly if you're a man and and so on and so forth so lots of really heady intellectual concepts that i think we need to wrestle with like these aren't just abstract conversations you know th- these are these are really pertinent uh, conceptual things we need to wrestle with because they have loads of practical ramifications. That's one side of it. Okay, the other side is, man, we're dealing with, <laughs> you know, it. It should go without saying, but I need to say it. I mean, we're dealing with real people, beautiful people, people with stories, people who bear God's image, people who need Jesus, and some of whom already have Jesus and are living faithful Christian lives, and so. And I I just want to acknowledge, even just going into it, that I don't wrestle with my gender identity. I don't know what it's like to be trans other than listening to loads of uh, stories and and friends of mine who this is their experience. But man, I just, as Christians, especially if this is not your experience or story, we need to be very, very um, sensitive to the fact that there's real people um, lying behind this conversation. And so we need to... um, be engaging it with listening ears and soft hearts and uh, humility to want to understand it and engage this conversation well. So, yeah, some key can some key terms. I mean, the most important terms that we need to understand are, are sex and gender. And um, yeah, for some people, um, these terms kind of mean the same thing. Sex and gender. I see people use them as overlapping concepts or uh, synonyms. And and that was the case up until the early 1970s, uh, sex and gender were used as synonyms in the English language. But since the 1970s, for various reasons I won't get into, um, a lot of academics um, would begin to use sex and gender differently. Um, And now it's become pretty popular in pop culture to use sex and gender uh, differently. So sex has to do with our biological sex, whether we are male or female, or in some In some cases, somebody might um, have an intersex condition, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, But male and female, those are the two categories of biological sex. Gender, when used in distinction to sex, um, has to do with our psychological or sociological aspects of being male or female. So to break it down even further... You know, you have something called gender identity, which is defined as one's internal, if you can say, psychological sense of their maleness or femaleness, whether they resonate with that or don't resonate with that. Um, That's gender identity. And and you also have things like gender role or gender expression, which has to do with, um, you know, societal society's expectations for what it means to be a man or, you know, masculinity and femininity those concepts, uh, has to do more with kind of the role, the assumed role that you would expect for a male or female to, to live in. Um, or, or, you know, gender expression is how you express yourself, whether it's through stereotypical masculine, you know, manners of dress and speech and whatever interests hobbies or feminine, you know, um, uh, aspects of dress and presentation, so um so so yeah, so gender, as you can see now, some people say, no, I think you know these terms are the same, and we shouldn't separate sex and gender, and okay that that's you can hold to that, I think there's legitimate maybe concerns for some conversations surrounding gender, but the fact is the these are how the terms are being used in distinction and and whether you like to separate sex and gender or not, you have to recognize that there are things like masculinity and femininity that aren't just simply byproducts of our biology, you know, like there's right. society plays a role in creating these concepts. One more quick example, Kate, and then I'll stop for a second. Um, you know, the, oh, I love it. I, okay. like, <laughs> this is so
0: great. I'm, I'm just refreshing my memory from all the things I've already learned. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh yes, this is so
1: good. Well, I, I, I am weary of giving people a, you know, a fire hose of, of information, but, um, <laughs> you know, if <laughs> no. I were to ask you is is pink a masculine or feminine color? Everybody yeah. is going to say, well, that's obviously a feminine color.
0: Yeah. My if- entire apartment, Preston, is the example of it. <laughs> I have lots of pink, okay? <laughs> and my <Right>. poor dog, <laughs> who I just got, is now being, she's a girl, and she's dressed in all the pink. So, yes.
1: <laughs> so that, yeah, yeah. And most people would say yes. Uh, wh- whether they like the color pink or not, they would say, no, if, if it's the choice between masculine or feminine, pink is going to be a feminine color. Well, did you know that 100 years ago, the opposite was true? Like blue was considered feminine, pink was considered masculine. If you had a yeah, a, so a boy, if you're a parent and had a bo- had a boy hundred years ago, you would absolutely put him in uh, pink clothes because that was considered masculine. Well, that is this is kind of low hanging fruit as, as an example to show that like some of these concepts of gender, of gender expectations, of masculinity and femininity are influenced and even determined by culture to some extent. Yeah. I mean, pink and blue yeah. are cultural constructs of masculinity and femininity. So there is this interesting interaction between simply our biology, our biological sex and our society and even our kind of psychological response to our biological sex. So that's a, that's a, that's a, um, those are just two two terms, but those are the, the most important ones that we need to understand before we dive in.
0: I, I love that. Uh, and I, I remember reading about that and I was like, that is so crazy because yes, I think I've heard it before, but like just even that notion of like, yeah, pink today is like such a female like associated color, but it wasn't that way. So just the idea that that has been something that is so culturally influenced is fascinating because we kind of need to look at the history and understand all of this because otherwise we're just... Experiencing today and not realizing, you know, it makes so much sense today in 2021. But we forget that maybe hundred years ago it was actually so much different. And what what are the factors that have changed and influenced things like this? And even if you go into other cultures, it's what the definition of masculinity and femininity changes in different cultures around the world. Uh, and I've I've found that very fascinating as I've studied both of those. So I would love to go into just. You know, as Christians, as we are going into this conversation regarding transgender people, what kind of posture should we have? And and while before you answer that question, I just want to bring up a story that you mentioned in the book, and I love this story. But on page sixty two, you have a quote who uh, from a woman who identifies as transgender named Kat, and um, she was you know I loved this story. It, it almost like brought me to tears, but it was so beautiful. But this girl Lori had. um came up to her at church and just made her – feel very loved and welcome. And and Kat ended up sharing with her that she was struggling um with her identity here and and being potentially trans, right? And so she ended up coming alongside of her and walking through this journey with her. And later on, you know, she was proposed the question that if Lori had come towards her and said, instead, like at once um Kat revealed that she was wrestling with some of these things, if Lori had just said, you know what, here's verse by verse, exactly what God thinks about you and thinks about gender and giving you the lesson, which is what we like to do as Christians, like what would Kat have felt? And Kat said, I would have run the other way. I didn't need a know-it-all Christian. I needed a Christian who desired to know me and who had the humility to admit that they didn't have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. Oh, I was like, man, what does it look like to come alongside people and not pretend as Christians that I know how to do everything? I know everything. Here's all the verses, you know? So that's, I wanted to read that as I asked you this question of like, what kind of posture we should have going into this conversation? Because I think that makes or breaks our ability to really have loving dialogues here and create true change in this community.
1: Uh, Well, that's a, I'm so glad you shared that story because the, the, it's a great illustration of the fact that we need to have lots of humility entering this conversation. And because this the topic of trans people, the trans conversation has become so politicized and therefore polarized, I think there's just a lot of fear, a lot of strong opinions that aren't based on a lot of knowledge, you know, about mm-hmm. what people think about trans people. And so we need to Acknowledge that unless you've really done a lot of study and a lot of listening to people, we don't know. There's a lot of unknowns here. And so we need to have the humility to get to know people, to hear their stories, and, and not just, you know, feel like we have to have it all figured out, you know. And and yeah, yeah. that's I love that story because that, that's you know, that's one story, and one story is one story. But man, I've heard that over and over from people that this kind of black and white, top-down, know-it-all kind of Christianity is such a turn off and does not invite people into a relationship. And it's because Lori had the, the the courage, really, and humility to yeah. say, look, I don't, I don't know, this is all new to me. I would love to walk with you and figure this out together, dude. That just drew Cat into this relationship, and Cat is one of the most zealous Jesus followers I've ever met. This girl preaches the gospel to so many people, and just is a red hot worshiper of Christ. And and you know, it, she still wrestles with her gender identity. She experiences gender dysphoria. You know, this the psychological term for this incongruence some people feel between their biological sex and their gender identity mm. um, she she even she'll even say that she's trans and she uses that term trans as simply a description of the fact that she experiences gender dysphoria she believes she's female does not desire to transition you know so and, th- and that might be a good segue too in understanding just yes. the diversity <laughs> of what it means to be trans like just because somebody says yes. they're trans doesn't mean you know anything about this person the term trans is A really broad umbrella term that can mean a number of different things.
0: Now, I don't know about you, but quarantine has made my attire extra basic over this last year. Which, let's be honest, there's nothing wrong with basic, but with things reopening, I am wanting to up my wardrobe standards as I go out into the world. How about you? Maybe, like me, you're ready to get back outside, but your closet says otherwise. Well, we are all in luck because thanks to Stitch Fix, we can easily get some much needed style updates that will help redefine our Zoom casual looks. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand selected by expert stylists for your unique style and budget. It's a completely different and fun way to find clothes that you will love to wear. Every piece is chosen for your fit and your life, and it's the easy solution to finding what makes you look and feel your best. You can try on pieces at home before you buy them, you can keep your favorites, and then you can send back the rest. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and even a prepaid return envelope is included in the shipment. And you guys, there's not even a subscription required. You can try Stitch Fix once or you can set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which then gets credited towards every piece that you keep. And there are no hidden fees ever. Stitch Fix has styles and clothes to fit any occasion for women, men, and kids. They ship all over the U.S. and are available in the U.K. as well. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash heart, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com slash heart to get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. stitchfix.com slash heart. You guys revamp our wardrobe as we reenter the world. This was huge life lesson for me, or just like overall lesson, because I think where I have been before, kind of diving into this conversation first with John Tyson's sermon and your and the things I've been learning through you, Preston, is like, oh, I've just assumed that somebody who identifies as trans means that they're like going to get a surgery and that they completely, you know, like my mind is like that is what it is, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. it's one specific thing in my head. Uh, It's because I have haven't had any education about it. And I've just made a lot of assumptions. And again, I think there's a lack of conversations around this in the Christian church as well. And so, yeah, would you, I assume that maybe in my own ignorance that I'm probably not the only one that it doesn't understand what this term means.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I'll, uh, yeah, you know, I spend a whole chapter on this. I'll try to, I'll try to be as concise (laughs) as I can. Um, It was a good
0: one, man. I was like, (laughs) man, I highlighted everything. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I've got a, a, Friend Mark Yarhouse, who says, you know, if you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person, <laughs> and um, obviously, I he, love that. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Um, and and with the trans conversation, that that could not be more true. That that there's such diversity here. So on one end of the spectrum, you can have somebody that says they're trans, like my friend Kat, who identifies with their biological sex, zealous follower of Jesus, but just simply experiences this unwanted psychological incongruence you know of gender dysphoria on the other end of the spectrum you might have somebody like another friend of mine who is biologically male um but says he's trans and when he says he's trans he means though i'm biologically male i am a woman not want to be a woman not i like feminine things but i am philosophically you know whatever like i am a woman like that's a whole that's a very different claim than what my friend Kat is saying you also have other people that say they're trans that might they might just not resonate with uh certain gender stereotypes and so th- this comes up a lot with younger people um, I imagine your audience is probably a lot of them are probably 30 or younger you know and um yeah with a younger group, you know, this is why like non-binary or gender queer or gender fluid identities are way more popular. Oftentimes, um, and they the person using these identity markers might not say it like this, but oftentimes, if somebody says they're non-binary, what that practically ends up meaning is that they just don't resonate with these, you know, either masculinity or femininity. And the beauty as Christians is, hey, welcome to the Bible. Like the Bible's. It gives us a lot of flexibility of what it means to be a man or a woman. So some men, you know, exemplify. I mean, I think think about King David. Like,
0: yes, <laughs> I, mean, I was just thinking about it, King David. Yeah.
1: Yes, I mean, he's a dude who, like, you know, knocked down a giant with a slingshot, he's cut a off warrior. his head, yeah. and dragged it twenty <laughs> miles to a city. Like that, this, this, that's the, this guy's dripping with testosterone, right? But he also. Yeah. Uh, wrote poetry. He played a harp. He cried yeah. a lot. I don't know anybody in Scripture that cries as much as David. He's yes. incredibly emotional. Look you know, he wrote seventy three yes. Psalms, and the Psalms are filled with emotion. Yeah. He even told, he even said that his love for, um, his best friend Jonathan after he died was better than the love of women, which typically that's not the most masculine thing to say. <laughs> so the Bible, I. I just to be clear, I think the Bible acknowledges there's male and female, and there's differences between these two biological sexes. But there's a lot of flexibility in living this out. Like, I don't think the Bible uh, morally mandates these gender stereotypes. So going back to it just quickly, you know, if somebody says they're non-binary, they might say, well, I don't really feel totally masculine, but I also don't feel totally feminine. And so the so I'm non I'm in between, you know. I don't want to recognize these as the only two options. And and so again, that that that's a different claim than again, my friend who says, though I'm biologically male, I believe I am a woman. Like, and yeah. so there's just if you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person. If you meet somebody who's trans, they tell you they're trans. Then your next question is, you know, thank you for telling me that. I would love to know what that means to you, because what it means to them might be very different than what it means to somebody else.
0: Yeah, that's. I think that's a really important distinction here because I mean, even just that chapter alone blew the lid off of so much that I was probably assuming, you know? And I was like, oh, like, and I mean, it's terrible to admit some of the stereotypes I had in my head, but just they're honest. They're honest stereotypes that I had because I just didn't have the education and why I feel like this, again, coming back to why this is so important that we jump into the gray here and we really start navigating it. And we don't assume anything about a trans person. Just this is a human being. This is somebody to love. This is somebody to learn, to understand, to come alongside, to befriend, you know, like this doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be like, oh, we have to convert them to da, 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 da. I don't even know, you know, (laughs) but again, it's like, these are real people. And I love that you actually kept bringing that up in your book too like these are people these are individuals this isn't just like a let me place my thoughts on this individual and try to make them what I want them to be no this is a person with a story and how can we come alongside to learn about that what trans means to them so this is bringing up then the next point which as Christians and this is a Christian podcast like what does the Bible say about all of this? Meaning if someone does experience incongruence with their biological sex, their in their internal sense of self, which one is determining who they are and why? <laughs> this is a big question. I don't so, know.
1: So that, that is that last, the way you framed it, you know, I kind of lead with that question. If there's incongruence, mm-hmm. which one are they? Why? And that, that really is the ultimate question that we're trying to answer in the book which has significant discipleship ramifications so um so before i give my answer let me just say it took me four years of almost full-time research writing and listening thinking um to come to some kind of like okay here's what i think is is you know the best answer i can give at this time um so i want to prevent I pe- i don't want people just to believe what i say i want to invite them into the journey yeah. themselves but um yeah, I do That's think very, that yeah. biblically speaking, um that our biological sex is a significant part of our human identity. Um I know in our broader culture, um human identity has become very subjective and very internal, very individualistic. I don't I think the Bible does not really resonate with that hyper individualism. I think it does say God tells us who we are <laughs> and when it comes to the categories of male or female our biological sex determines whether we are male or female now um also i would just to repeat what i said earlier i don't think at all that that means the bible demands that males must ask, act masculine or females must act feminine i think the bible really blows apart that those kind of cultural um Assumptions about masculinity and femininity. So I think there's a lot of freedom, and what it means to live out our male or female um, sexed identity. Um, and also, we live in a fallen world where people um, experience all kinds of psychological incongruence, and sometimes it can be incredibly severe. Um, and this is why I'm nervous about phrases like, you know, I'll hear Christians say, "Well, your feelings don't determine who you are." I'm like, "Well, I, I mm-hmm. agree with that. Everybody should agree with that." Um, But even the term feeling, like, I, you know, sometimes I wake up and I feel tired or I feel like a cup of coffee or I might feel like ice cream after dinner, you know, those are kind of flippant and superficial and minor that can come and go. When somebody experiences, let's just say, severe gender dysphoria, this isn't just on par with my craving for ice cream. This can be a severe, at times, debilitating unwanted, ongoing condition that makes it incredibly hard to walk outside your door. So in no way, when I say that I do think biblically biological sex determines human identity, I am not, I don't at all want to like downplay the severity of, of what gender dysphoria is for some people. So, you know, and there's just a, just a slop of not slap a verse on it, but like they give some biblical, like, I, I you know. And you gen- pack
0: it in there in the book, by the way, yeah. everyone is saying, like, yeah, I mean, we can't go into everything, but you really do biblically break this down even in the book in so many yeah. ways with so many different verses. But yeah, go ahead. I'd well, love, just, I'd yeah, love yeah to just hear.
1: briefly. I think Genesis 127, where it says that we mm-hmm. we're, that were created in God's image, which is a profound statement. Um it also says in that same verse, male and female, he created them so that our male and female biological sex is somehow connected to our image bearing status. And that really high view of our biological sex is really runs through all of scripture. And so I, I do think it's a significant part of our sort of biblical understanding of, of human nature. Um, but again, I'll come full circle and say, you know, it took me, <laughs> there's still a lot of what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Questions that come up. It, it is a complicated conversation, which is why I wrote a whole book on it.
0: Right. Okay. So this is just coming up for me, but like as Christians, so let's say I have listeners right now that are like, wow, there is so much to learn here and unpack here. And maybe I have mistreated people in the past or approached this wrongly, or maybe I don't even have anybody in my life who identifies as trans because I just kind of like veered away from that because I haven't known what to say or what that means how do we start approaching people in a different like my goal here is to be like how do we create actual true transformational change as Christians when we are supposed to be walking in the way of Jesus and I'm like when I think about Jesus and how he would show up today in these conversations I mean like the, his, probably his best friends would be people who <laughs> identify as trans or, you know, like I just, that's, that's how he lived his life. Uh, and so, but here we are and like, I will be the first to admit, sometimes I feel I'm in a bubble where I'm like, why is everyone around me look exactly like me, you know? And so what do you, how do we start creating some of this transformational change?
1: Well, that yeah, just based on what you said, like, I think that recognizing that's huge and also, as christians we should cultivate habits and rhythms where we are gravitating to uh those who are maybe marginalized or or have a minority experience or or you know aren't don't look and act and smell like we do you know like like let's we need to get out of our our um our sameness and 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 press into otherness i mean think about god <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know left heaven above to come down and, and and incarnated and had a posture of reaching out to otherness you know the the one who doesn't look and act like us so um i think that's a this is a general rhythm that christians need to cultivate and, and then as part of that rhythm i think god will bring trans people into our life you know um you know i just yeah. think for me like i just um And it was hard at first. I was raised really conservative Christian who didn't even have a category for even caring about, you know, the downtrodden and oppressed and marginalized oddly enough. It's like, how could you read the gospels and not, you know, see this, but.
0: I know um, (laughs) that always
1: shocks me, but
0: I grew up similarly to you in that way where I'm like, you read it, but then my life was like so much privilege and so much like kind of in a bubble, honestly. Absolutely.
1: So now like if I'm at a coffee shop and there's, you know, if there's a trans person who's the waiter or whatever, like I I just want to go out of my way to like talk to the person, humanize them, listen to them, To not have even something as small as just like having a conversation with somebody who might be trans, you know, based on their presentation or, um, and just not be like weird, you know, <laughs> like when, yeah, when, yeah. I, when I'm talking to my greedy neighbor <laughs> or my, you know, person, my neighbor who bought uh you know another brand new car and another boat and obviously it isn't you know being sacrificial with his money or caring for the poor which is a huge violation of biblical ethics right yeah I don't get yes. weirded I don't even think about it. I'm like, dude, tell me about your boat. When are we going skiing again? Dude, you love your car. Your <laughs> rims are sick. You know, I don't say like, well have you given any of that to the poor? You know like we we, we we've <laughs> oh learned gosh. to cultivate Typically, like we can get along with non-Christians, you know, or people that yes. are in our church and not get weirded out. But some for some reason, when it comes to LGBT people, it's like we put on our weird hat and start freaking yes. out. So, so just being a normal oh human God. to normal human. And in that context, if you get to know them and they're like, man, this person's really cool, you know. And then if they find out you're a Christian and they already know you're like cool, like you're just, not cool, but like just like you seem to like them and like hanging out with them that could be a really like wow well wait a minute you're a christian and so what do you think about you know like I, that could really open up a really awesome conversation opportunity so um i think yeah, i mean that's yeah. not the end all but i think just you know being just relational <laughs> and, and good listeners and humble uh, as you come across people who might be you know Trans or, or non binary or identifying in some way.
0: Yeah. And the thing is, too, there, you have no idea, I think, how many people might even be in your church community and may be wrestling through a lot of these things, but haven't felt like a safe place to share because, you know, <laughs> because we've been so weird as Christians. Like, I found that that's often just so sad. And like, I, I the part of my heart behind um, starting these conversations on the heart of dating is just to say we have a huge community and people who are interacting. And I'm like, we haven't brought it up and it's and on my heart to say like, Hey, I know people who are listening. I know people in our community. We like are probably LGBT. And I would love to create a safe place for those people to feel like we are here to be loving and to be kind and to seek to understand to come alongside of you and to not treat you like an alien, like a lot of church communities have, unfortunately. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know it's, a, it's important
1: uh, to understand that um statistically, there's a big study done a while back that and it found out that 83% of LGBT people were raised in the Christian church. Um, 51, wow. 51% end up leaving, usually secretly, after they turn 18. So yeah, I, let me, because I, I don't want to get the impression that if somebody's trans, that means they're not in your church. 83%. That's like a huge, the, so the national average is 73% of, of Americans were raised in a Christian church. 83% of LGBT people were. So yes, there are loads of people wow. in our churches who are wrestling typically secretly with their sexuality or gender identity. I mean, if, if your church is a thousand people, there's probably anywhere from 50 to a hundred. And if you're like, Oh yeah, we have this one gay guy. That's I'm like, okay, there's loads of people that are wrestling in secret. And I know, cause I get the emails from pastors, pastors, wives, significant people that I can't name on the air, uh, people that are like, oh my gosh, I've been wrestling with whatever my whole life and I just don't have space to talk about it. So yeah, this is not an us versus them conversation. This is an us and us conversation.
0: Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, I mean, that's stat alone. I'm like, man, 83% I grew up Christian, but also over 50% have left after 18. Wait, that's so tragically sad. We have a problem here. Uh, okay, so quickly, and we have only a little bit of time left, but I am curious to understand two more things um, specifically. And and also if we can touch on the intersex thing, I would love to do that as well because we said it earlier. So maybe we talk touch on that quickly, not that I wanna like skate over it. Just for the point of time, um, uh, though, can you give us a little breakdown about what is intersex and how that relates to being trans?
1: Sure. Um, intersex is a popular term used to describe what medical professionals call disorders or differences of sex development. There's anywhere from 16 to 20 or more um, medical conditions whereby somebody might develop some kind of atypical feature in their uh, sexual anatomy. Or their chromosomes, okay? So this has to do with our biology. We're simply being trans has to do with our psychology, like some kind of incongruence between your body and your brain. But if someone's trans and doesn't have an intersex condition, there's no there's zero ambiguity in whether they are biologically male or female. With intersex, um, there might be some ambiguity. Now I do want to be clear that almost all of people who have an intersex condition it is very minor to where the atypical feature is, it doesn't, like, they're still clearly male or female. In fact, one uh, medical professional says about 99% of people with an intersex condition are still clearly male or female. So, the term intersex shouldn't be taken to mean, like, non, not male or female. Like, most intersex people are clearly male or female. There is a small percentage of intersex people who have a significant blend of Male and female sexual anatomy. I've got a friend who is 100% male, 100% female, um, and has both chromosomes. Like, it's – this. my friend is both male and female. Like, that may may throw a wrench into some people's worldview, and so be it. It is what it is. Um, So, yeah, so intersex has to do with biological sex, whereas going back to our sex-gender conversation, where transgender has to do, like the term suggests, with our psychological response or, you know, to our biological sex or – you know, we or we don't resonate with masculine or feminine stereotypes. So um I I I do think it's um unhelpful when people um use intersex as kind of a how do I say it maybe like a um piece of evidence for a certain kind of perspective on trans the trans experience. I do mm-hmm. think it's helpful to keep these separate, which is why like in my book I have a whole separate chapter just on intersex. Yeah. Um, because sometimes people dance back and forth between trans and intersex and I think that you're you're kind of conflating two really different conversations.
0: Yeah, that's really important. That, again, a really big learning for me. And I think that's so important for us to distinguish and not assume. That's why this education, again, I'm like, wow, <laughs> my mind is blown. Uh, okay, so in this, and we've seen a lot of culturally, this has been happening, Um you know, a lot more younger people are now identifying as trans, um, especially in their younger years or as kids. And I mean, I'd love to just unearth a little bit of why that is. And then lastly, I want to talk through the pronouns debate and then ever- encourage everyone to get the book because there's so much more. But yes, those <laughs> are just to frame up the last few things I want to go over with you.
1: Yeah. So there has been a, a massive increase among uh, younger people. Um teenagers, especially females, identifying as something other than their biological sex. So for instance, in the United Kingdom, um, there's been a 5,000% increase among teenage females in the last 10 years, wow. um, going to gender clinics, questioning who, the, questioning their biological sex. And so that this has raised major questions, even among, if I can say, very liberal, non-Christian psychologists saying, well, this is... There's something going on. This is not... Um, yeah, yeah, and People who would be very okay with being trans, transitioning, whatever, they're like, there's something else going on here. We should not be seeing this high of an increase. Even if... Because some people say, well, it's because society is more accepting now. And so people that would have kept it in secret are now coming out. And that, that might account for some of the rise, but not the astronomical hockey stick spike in people identifying. Yeah. So what...
0: Yeah, 5,000% um, more in the UK. What?
1: Oh my God. And, and this is true of virtually every Western... <laughs> Um, wealthy yeah. country, which that's, that raises another question: Why is it only Western <laughs> yeah, wealthy? Yeah, that's
0: interesting.
1: It is. It's fascinating. Um, so long story short, and this is very controversial. But everything in this con- conversation is controversial. So, so people <laughs> yeah, say, I'm
0: like, but we could it could be yeah. all controversial.
1: <laughs> I should have said at the beginning. Everything I'm going to say is controversial. Okay, so like, yeah. <laughs> um, but this in particular. So, some again, very secular, very affirming, very liberal psychologists have said there's some level of so, what they call social contagion, some influence from a person's culture, society, their online communities, their school communities that is playing some role in causing people to maybe question their biological sex or to explore uh, a trans identity. And again, that is um some people say absolutely not. How could you just say that? You know, you're either born trans or you're not. That's just. I think there's a there is a lot of evidence for again younger people. A lot of evidence for some societal influence in many cases. Again, I'm, you can see me kind of hedging and qualifying. <laughs> yes, there are yeah, some yeah. people <laughs> that have experienced gender dysphoria from the time they're two years old. It's always been there. It might always be there. Um, but that doesn't account for this massive spike. And so, it, Yeah, I mean, and, and in some contexts. You know, coming out as trend think about this. Um, let's just create a, a real briefly, a scenario of a fifteen year old person, let's say female who is maybe lonely, maybe doesn't have a lot of friends, maybe maybe is dealing with other mental health issues. Maybe they're depressed or dealing with anxiety. And then say they come out as trans and all of a sudden they instantly belong to a community. They're celebrated. They come out online and 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 certain online communities will just come go out of their way to celebrate you, to affirm you, you belong now. There's people saying, Welcome to the family, you know, like there is a strong pull for some people to have an identity of trans. And that in a sense, that could almost um, influence also some level of gender dysphoria that maybe they didn't have before. Like gender dysphoria can have some sociological influence. So, um,
0: wow, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so that that's a whole nother. Again, when 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 we talk about trans people, I think it's helpful to separate maybe a, an older adult who has had lifelong gender dysphoria from some teens who might be in a culture that's vastly different than a fifty-year-old when. You know, when the 50 year old was in their teenage years, it wasn't like you don't earn social status by coming out as trans. It's quite the opposite. But in some context today, yeah. the opposite is true. I mean, you're in California, a lot of
0: yeah. schools yeah. in
1: California or, you know, Portland or New York City or other, you know, more progressive environments. You know, sometimes being a white, straight, cisgender male is like, you know, that that's, doesn't earn you social status in some context. It might be, you're the you're what's wrong with this country, you know. Um, in other contexts it's the opposite again it really does depend on someone's social environment
0: yeah that's fascinating I have experienced a lot of that and here in California and even talking to my mentor and other people here who have kids in the school system like it's very interesting the conversations that are being had especially in cities like la I mean or some of the ones that you stated it's so fascinating okay so coming to my final question I wish it wasn't because I have so many th- more questions and things and thoughts but I really do do want to address, like how we as Christians should think through and, and approach the pronoun debate. And there's a lot going on here. But yeah, what what, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, good. I, and I will be brief. I, I spend 10 pages wrestling with this in the book. So just to let people know that I think there's a lot of questions that you should wrestle with here. And I think there's, and I'll say, let me just say really clearly, I think there's really good godly wise Christians on both sides of whether we should use the pronouns as someone who Is trans, and when I say that, I mean like a biological male wants you to call them by a different pronoun that doesn't match their biological sex, whether it's they them or or he him. I do take the view, after wrestling with this for a long time, um, I do think it's for the most part good for Christians to use the pronouns that somebody wants you to use. Um, Yeah, I you know, and I give all kinds of reasons why I hold to that view. um, Just. The most significant one is, you know, language is what I call shared social space. So you have like person A over here, person B over here. Person A has a different view of, you know, a different worldview, and person B has a different worldview. Well, the language exists at the middle between them, and relationship can't exist unless they come to some common ground. So if person B, say, is a Christian, has a Christian worldview, is demanding that every person they talk to has the same kind of language patterns that they do, we're not going to be really effective at meeting people where they're at. So I think because it's language is shared social space, pronouns can be very, very personal, can make or break a relationship instantly. Um, So I want to meet someone where they're at, even even if I don't think somebody should use pronouns that doesn't that don't match their biological sex. Okay, let me set aside that for a second for the sake of relationship. Meet someone where they're at, use the pronouns they want me to use, um, and and go from there, you know? It doesn't mean I necessarily yeah. agree with it, it just means that I care about a person to be able to uh, you know, enter into the journey wherever they're at in in that journey. So that's yeah, that's my general position. There's might be a few caveats that I talk about in the book.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. As I was reading through that, I agree. Like, I mean, it's a journey walking through this and thinking through all of this, but I would agree with that for the sake of, especially the relationship with the person. And um, I think that's so much about why it's important for us as Christians to just love on people and seek kindness and compassion and build relationships. And I want to honor that person and where they're at, you know, I'm not here to like tell them what I think they should be doing per se. I I want to just, you know, first and foremost develop relationship with that person. And I think that's honestly what's just been missing in these um, dialogues when it comes to LGBT people. And here's today with the T, which is the transgender individuals, like, we just need more relationships, so we need to develop and cultivate safe spaces to come alongside people. And so, I love I love your perspective on that. I loved how you thought through and wrestled through that. So, Preston, this has been incredible. Thank you for sharing all the wisdom today the final thing and you you unfortunately we didn't talk a ton of dating advice but that's not the point of today's episode but the the final question every guest has to answer is what is your final nugget of dating advice for the listeners and and maybe we can include within that maybe I'll just throw in a wrench for this like if somebody is dating and this comes up with a person that they're talking to what how do they address that maybe I'm gonna make you answer a specific question
1: oh man that's a tough one that's a tough let, let me let me um <laughs> Let me speak maybe more broadly. Um I would say okay. in a way that's related to this conversation. I think I think you should feel the freedom to date somebody even if that other person maybe doesn't embody certain gender stereotypes that society thinks they should have. So say you're a uh female who is interested in guys, but what if you're into more less, I don't know, less athletic, more artistic, more guys that you know might yeah. be I don't know. Again, I'm playing to the stereotypes. I'm more emotional or whatever. Maybe he cries more than that's you do. That's me. Like,
0: that's what I like. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, that, that's, like that. I want yeah. because the Bible gives a lot of freedom in how to live out our male or female identity. That's t- completely fine. Like you should not feel like ashamed of that or like, oh, shouldn't I like like more masculine guys, or whatever? Like, no, no. You, you should like, you know, guys that you like, you know. And the Bible does not place extra requirements on what it means to be a man. So feel the freedom in that.
0: <laughs> Anything else on if this comes up in conversation? <laughs> 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 Putting you on the spot.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, I guess, yeah. I mean, if somebody you're dating does, I know this might not be a, a lot of your listeners, but might be some. Um, if someone you're dating comes out as trans or non-binary or maybe gender non-conforming, don't freak out. You know, again, that can mean a number of different things, to different people. So just really dive in and understand what they mean by Those terms, rather than assuming what they mean by those terms.
0: Yeah, that's so good, man. Ah, Preston, this has been just so good. Thanks for the little curveballs I throw you through you at the end when it comes to dating. But I do think this is so important overall, but also in dating and understanding individuals and even the the constructs you were saying at the end between masculinity and femininity. Because I do think as Christians we put a lot of labels on what this should look like, even just when it comes to masculine and feminine. And I do think it's more open and more nuanced than we allow ourselves to think and believe. I would love for people to connect with you and to get your book and, you know, just be aware of all the things that you're doing. How did, what is the best way for them to do that?
1: Yeah. So my book is on Amazon, wherever books are sold, basically Amazon.
0: (laughs) Uh, For for now,
1: there's been a bit of a shakedown with trans books that don't have a certain perspective, but mine's still on Amazon right now.
0: Oh wow, seriously? Yeah, it yeah. has great reviews. Everyone, so this is, and you got it. It's endorsed by some amazing people. People that we've had on the podcast, like John Mark Comer, Lisa Bevere is a good friend of ours. Actually, Sean McDowell, I went to mm. Israel with him. Oh, anyway, nice. just so yeah. many great people. Um, I'm like, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so, I would say check out the book. Also, the so the ministry that I run, the Center for Faith, Sex, Body, and Gender. Our, our ministry website is centerforfaith.com and loads and loads and loads of resources on there that can keep you busy for a couple of years. So um, I also have a personal website, pressandsprinkle.com but most of my activity is on the center's uh, website, centerforfaith.com.
0: Yeah, amazing, Preston. I just appreciate you. Thank you so much for, you know, getting having the boldness and the courage, and just doing the work to research this for the last four plus years and put it all into this place of this incredible resource. and And not only did you write it, that you're having these conversations, you're living it, you're walking alongside of people, and you're just such a beautiful, great example of how we as Christians should um, more compassionately, more courageously walk into these discussions and not be so afraid of them, even if we believe something one way our entire lives, you know, like, I wonder what, you know, I come back to WWJD, what would Jesus really do? Like, how would he really enter these conversations today? And I think the way you're walking that out is just such an example for all of us. So thank you.
1: Well, thanks so much, Kate. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Hey, guys. Well, my goodness, what an episode, right? There's so much here This conversation is so complex, so nuanced, and it really needs to be talked about more. It's almost like this is something that we just do not understand and we sometimes just don't seek to understand it and instead make judgments about people who are wrestling through their gender identities. So I really encourage you, go out and get Preston's book, Embodied, It is such a good book. It is rich. It is full with so many different stats and facts and stories. And you're just going to really enjoy it if you enjoyed this conversation today. Next week, we are following up with another beautiful conversation from an amazing trans woman herself, Kat LaPrairie. I love Kat. I love her story. And I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode next week. So I'll see you then.